0: Listener supported, WNYC Studios.
1: What are some of the levers that you can work with that are going to help you do a show that you actually wake up wanting to do and that you can do with the capacity and the skills that you have and the resources you
0: can muster? Before you start working on the first episode of your podcast, there are some questions you may want to ask yourself. How long are the episodes? How often are they released? And who is listening to you? Podcasting expert Reka Murthy explains why thinking about the design of your podcast can be just as important as the content. I'm Tanzina Vega, and this is Work It! The Podcast, a compilation of some of the best moments from the live event. This was part of I Know How to Do That, a series of presentations by leading hosts and producers where they shared tips, stories, and knowledge about all aspects of podcasting.
1: So welcome. Um, my name is Reka Murthy. I'm a radio and podcast expert. That's how I prefer to go by. But in practice, I'm actually a consultant who works with clients, organizations, and individuals of all sizes, in organizations of all sizes and individuals, um, who are at the various stages of their podcast design process, launch process, audience development process, di- distribution process, and so on. Um, But one thing that I really find has helped so many people I've worked with is the design part of the process. You have an idea. You have a hunch it's good. But now you really need to get it into something that's actionable, something you can make. Um, And so that's what we're here to talk about today. Now, some people like to just dive in and make. And that is totally fine. Um, I actually have a lot of respect for that. But that's not the kind of podcast that we're here to talk about today. Because today what we want to talk about is kind of a level of planning and thinking that is flexible, that doesn't add any drag or doesn't feel cumbersome to the process, which I know sometimes design goes in and out of fashion because some people think it slows things down. Um, But this is a kind of design that just sets you up to get where you want to go, whatever success means to you, audience or impact or simply finding the right partner or being able to plan better and not have too many budgeting surprises, that kind of design. And when I say producibility, that basically means sustainability. Like, what are some of the levers that you can work with that are going to help you do a show that you actually wake up wanting to do and that you can do with the capacity and the skills that you have and the resources you can muster? Um, So, you know, as I said before, flexibility in the design process is key. Any creative work, when it balances structure and ambiguity, is doing its best, um, is at its best. So what we're talking about, and this process that I'd like to walk you through, none of it is fixed. It's more, it's not a recipe for a fixed podcast of your dreams. It's more like a wide, meandering path that gets you there, and the there may also change. So take everything that we talk about here as The process of designing in some ways is as important as what you come out with on the other end. So I guess to get a sense of what's going on here, um, how many of you in this room have launched a show or helped launch a show? Oh nice, (laughs) okay. How many of you went through a design process or what felt like a design process even if it wasn't called that? This is great, you're playing right into my hands. (laughs) Uh, how many of you wish you had maybe gone through a little more? Great. And you know what? It's never too late, by the way. I work with folks who've been doing podcasts for a couple of years and are just ready to rethink and recalibrate. So that's all good. Um, so I would love your experiences at the, during the discussion at the end. Um, but let's get into it for now. Um, so it's this easy, bang, bang, bang. Um, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna go through this relatively quickly and again, let's, you know, I just, I'm in the interest of really getting to the discussion time where you can really ask the questions and we can drill down into the things that seem most relevant. Um, But you know, the first step is stress test the idea. Go through your key themes, do a show roadmap which is basically an episode list, Um, work on your brief memorable sentence. And then there are a bunch of nuts and bolts that we'll get into. And then you can also see on the right side of the screen, there are things that you should be doing throughout. Thinking about your listeners, that's a big one. Making stuff and testing. And we'll go over all of this relatively quickly now. Um, Okay, stress testing the idea. Let's just assume for now you have the idea, okay? That's not what this session's gonna be about. It came to you in a bolt of lightning, or friends and family have been begging you, or colleagues have been begging you to do this show for ages, whatever it is. So first, there's some internal reflection that you should do. Um, Why a podcast? Like, why that medium? Why now? Why are you the person to make it? Would you enjoy making it? That's critical, because you're gonna have to do a lot. You're gonna spend a lot of time with this idea, so you really wanna like it. Um, and why would people need or want to listen? So these, these all sound obvious, but it's amazing how many times I feel like people haven't fully thought that part through. So once you do that though, there's some actual like, actionable things that you can do. And the first is what I call the non-competitive landscape review. Um, basically you look for shows out in the podcast land that are adjacent or even doing very close to what you intend to do. You listen for inspiration. You listen, you listen for caution for the things you don't want to do. You also listen to see who could be a good partner in the future. You listen to see if there are indications that there's an audience for the kind of thing you want to do. That's why I call it non-competitive. It's a pretty congenial field. In fact, I'm looking out in this audience and I'm seeing like a lot of people I know, and fortunately all of you I adore, so that's really good. And, but I feel like generally that's been my experience. In this field. And so really you actually want quote competition because you are all going to help each other get audience by cross-promotion and inspiration and things like that. Um, another thing you do is ask friends and family and subject matter experts if your show is specialized. Is this a good idea? Um, you know, really you'll hear a lot very quickly about that, especially from people you trust. And then the other thing that's like really actually more like feels like homework, but is really essential is the research. Map the space. Read up on the topic that you're going for. Talk to the subject matter experts. Ask them, what are the big questions? What are the big issues? What are the observations? Basically, what's the topography of the space that you want to operate in? You may choose to address some of it, or all of it, or maybe just one tiny corner of it, but you should know what it is. Now, I was going to say here, don't assume you know it all. (laughs) But I'm talking to a room full of women. We never assume we know it all. And I can't tell you, I also, I do have an anecdote that supports this mapping the space, but I have a counter anecdote, which is several women I've worked with recently. One on a climate change podcast, one on a podcast about a, a major literary figure. They had done so much research, they actually couldn't proceed. And they came to me to help them find the way through. So there are limits to this. However, where it can be helpful, one um, podcaster who I worked with who's actually in this room um, has this great idea that is about her own experience as a woman who's had what are considered like working class jobs that are undervalued, underpaid. And that was her experience of the work that she had done. And for her podcast, that's how she went in framing it, like right down to the title, you know, just that this work is undervalued. And as she started doing test interviews with friends and family and subject and, and other people who she thinks she might wanna actually have on the show, she realized that there's a whole other role for pride, for pleasure, and, and for self-respect, even if sometimes the perception is that your work isn't valued. And that helped her really refra- reframe how she talks about the show and also how she conducts her interviews. Um, so you know, mapping the space is really essential. And it sets you up for the next stage of design the key themes. Now, this this can be anything you want. And I'm going to actually just jump right. Do not feel like you actually have to take this all in. But this is one sample of what I mean. It's a brain dump. It's a brain dump of the things that you want to encounter, think you'll encounter, want to even avoid, as as you explore the space that you're setting out to explore. Um, And what this does, is it it really helps you prepare. When you hear a theme come up in an interview that you're doing or when you're out in the field and you're researching a topic or you're having a conversation in the studio, whatever it is, you will have remembered writing down that theme. And it will help you decide whether or not maybe at that moment on the spot you're going to drill down into it further. But this list can be pages and pages long. It can be a free write. But then you'll start to see certain subcategories emerge. And that starts to become what I think of as the palette. That's why I picked that emoji. <laughs> um, and, and you know balance is this like, value in the visual arts. And I think it's kind of an underrated value in podcasting. I've worked with podcasters. Um, well, actually, so this show that these sample key themes, this show is no longer running. But when I first started working with them, they said that they were a show, a public radio show, a podcast about race, culture, and, politi- and pop race, pop culture, and politics. But actually, most of the recent episodes had been very specifically about white appropriation of black culture. And when we step back and we look at that, we say, OK, well, that could be its own podcast. But that's not the podcast that you said you wanted to do. So how do we make sure that all of the palette is being represented? Another show about, I'm going to actually have to look at my notes here, um, women, uh, women, Social Justice and Smashing the Patriarchy. But her entire upcoming season was very focused on self-care, mental health, and reproductive health. Again, all incredibly valid topics, but they they weren't really encompassing everything that she was trying to accomplish. So she recalibrated. That's all it took. But the key themes really give you something to come back to over the course of your show, not just in one episode. So I know I'm speeding through this. Each one of these could be its own talk, but um, the show roadmap. This is basically a list of your episodes. But to get there, there's this one thing that I find is helpful for thinking about this is what I call the through line, or your organizing principle. This may not apply to all of you and to all of your shows, but it's really a question of how will you define each episode. And the best way for me to actually explain this is by examples. And I'm going to actually name a few shows. Um, America's Test Kitchen has a show, just launched a show called Proof. Well, their through line is one mysterious food question per episode. Um, by the book, one of my faves is, you know, well, and I think uh, the producers are either at the conference this, um, this week, so you should check them out. Um, they, go, they basically follow a self-help book for two weeks um, every episode. Song Exploder, an artist talks about a song. The Daily, one major story of the day. You see that there's a certain pattern recognition. The frame stays the same while the painting changes. And that can help you as you're trying to make and visualize what an episode should be. It helps you stay focused as you gather the material, as you script, Um, and it helps the listener tremendously. I like to say, well, I'm not happy about this. But I do like to say that we basically, as podcasters, have the world's tiniest storefront. Three quarters of the listening is on a mobile app. Um, you know, Smart speakers have no visual. You basically get this tiny logo, a title, a short description, and if you're lucky, a few of the episodes shown. You want your listeners, they're going to make a judgment about whether or not to hit play based on very little information. If you can give them some pattern recognition, that really helps. Now, I I do want to emphasize, we can go into this more at the end, because I know for some people it can be a a challenging concept for their particular idea. And it doesn't really apply to everyone. Um, It's really okay for each episode to be a topic, but where you can do this, it's nice. Then you list out 10 to 15 episodes that really test out that through line. Is this going to work for you? So that's your show roadmap at that point. Again, all of this is provisional. Um, It's never fixed in stone. Next, this one's pretty self-explanatory, and I'm sure most of you have done some version of this, um, and it's something that people besides me talk about regularly, Um, you know, the brief memorable sentence, one sentence that encapsulates your show. Um, It's more of an elevator pitch. It may or may not become your tagline, but don't expect it to do the work of the tagline. It's hopefully for now just a mission statement or a guiding statement for you and for the people you may wanna partner with or you may wanna hire or work with in some way. How's everyone doing? <laughs> um, well, good. So we're at, we're at number five now, the nuts and bolts. Um, I actually put control knobs instead of the obvious emoji here because there are things that you can tweak um, to help you fulfill your vision with the resources at hand. Um, and I would say, if you're looking at the left column right now on this slide, format, episode duration, episode frequency, And show duration, like is it ongoing, limited series, seasonal? Those are the kinds of things that you can tweak to activate your vision in a way that's not going to kill you. But that's going to help your idea shine. Um, My God, I have so many (laughs) anecdotes about people who just really genuinely want, I worked with one client, wanted a a weekly top-shelf show co-hosted with people who, two co-hosts travel all over the place, live on different coasts, and I said, great. Well, as we're doing this design process, I really urge you to start making as soon as possible. Let's start testing. Because I had a hunch. And sure enough, the first time they could reconcile their calendars to get two hours of studio time in the same place was six weeks from that date. That immediately chilled us on you know, the possibility of a weekly show. Um, don't set yourself out weekly. Weekly can be great and sometimes is necessary, depending on your topic. If it's a current events topic, then, you know, you find yourself at it daily. But then you need a staff of 12. So think about all of these things. Um, and these are nice ways. You know, I, um, there's somebody I work with who actually works for the American Red Cross. And during hurricane season, she's not going to be putting out any episodes. <laughs> so she's going seasonal. Um, and that could work for her. Um, so it's, it's okay to be realistic about, you know, what you really can do and work with that. That said, if you're an unbelievable sound designer and you can make a radio lab, go for it. This isn't only about calibrating down. This is about calibrating up and realizing, once you have a vision, just how much you can actually accomplish. Because sometimes that surprises people. Um, and then the right column, these are obvious things, but it's nice to have a checklist, title, tagline your short description, which may be that brief, memorable sentence, a longer description, remembering that on mobile platforms you're not going to see all that much, and the logo, again, the world's tiniest storefront. The reason I have this relatively late in the process is because I have seen situations where somebody got really excited and they needed to, like, visualize the show, so they came up with a title and forgot to call it a working title, And then they came up with a logo and forgot to call it a working logo. And at that point, actually, so many people had weighed in and approved that it was pretty fixed. But then they went to actually execute on the first few scripts and realized that the show, the look of it and the title was very true crimey. But in practice, it was more like subcultural romp. So not totally off and they're going to figure it out and they, you know, it, it's all good but like that's why I actually hold off on some of these things. It may feel good to check it off your list but try to work on points one through four first. Okay, so um, we've done it. You're done. You've got a podcast design. <laughs> um, you know, work through this. This just gives you a roadmap. This it sets you up well for a pitch, and I know that, um, I believe it's Alison Berenger is going to be doing um, a pitch session later today, and we have communicated, so we will not be redundant. <laughs> um, but this gives you a lot of the materials for that. It also gives you materials to, to work creative agreementing out. Like, you, can, you may go to a possible network or a possible funder and say, you know what, design's really important here. We've got a lot of things we need to test out, so let's do the agreement for the pilot. Let's not try to make an agreement for a full-on show. And I'll tell you, that has worked out. I worked with an author, very media savvy, but um, they worked on a pilot with this network. They did it probably way too, spent too much time, and it actually ultimately agreed to part ways. But that was embedded in the process, and that was okay. Um, So there are a a few other things here that you're set up for. You can start thinking about budget, You can also start thinking about other nuts and bolts, like if your design is going to have film or music, how are you going to acquire that? How are you going to get the rights? How much time do you need for that so all of a sudden a weekly show isn't going to serve you well if you need to license music? Do you have the budget? If you have two hosts and they're in different places, how will you deal with that? And will the timing work out? But in the end, I think you can see that it's really about getting things down on paper. And there are people, again, in this very room who have said, I wish I had done it sooner. Again, the act of designing is as important as what you come up with. But there's three more things, sorry. And then we'll get to discussion. Um, I could do a whole thing on thinking about your audience because it is so tempting when you're making a creative work to keep thinking about yourself it's actually harder than it seems to remember the audience, especially if your audience is not the typical podcast listener, which, by the way, is a really good strategic move. There are a lot of platforms these days um, who are actually saying that they recognize to grow the overall podcast listening space, they're going to need to bring in new listeners. To do that, they're going to need shows that are actually made for the new kinds of listeners out there, because no one's going to come and stay, and that's what we really need. so you need to think like a listener to design for a listener. Think, who is the show for? How will I learn about those listeners? How will I reach them? And for me, relatability and authenticity are key values of a good podcast. And we, I actually, we see that play out just in the fan, world of fandom and loyal listening. And authenticity and audience are really connected. How much are you going to explain certain topics? there's somebody else in this room who mentioned cuffing season. How many of you know what cuffing season is? Okay, so I don't feel like such a loser. (laughs) Well, you know what? For her show and her audience, cuffing season is great. Include it. Talk about it. Maybe you explain it through the context. I'm glad I don't know about it because I'm not the target audience. So, you know, public radio, I think, is an example where I think generally it tends to explain the rest of the world to a narrow demographic. You don't have to do that here. This is podcasting. You are not broadcasting. So you just want to reach and be authentic to the people that you want to reach. Um, Making stuff, just know, and many of you here probably sadly already know, the first time you get behind a mic will suck. Like you just, you're gonna like even if you've done tons of media that's the weird thing because you're not gonna ha- you may be really good at like you know the TED talk or whatever but getting behind that podcast mic is a whole other thing. Get I mean if you if all you have is your phone start recording start interviewing, it's amazing how quickly you can get better too. So. You will suck the first time, but you will get better, and you will get to the sound that you want. I've seen that so many times. So just do it all along. Don't wait until you have a plan. Just do it. Um, And then for testing, so I was a user experience designer in one of my past lives, and there's this, I have a link to this data from like, I think it's like 20 years old, but if you want the link, ask me later. Basically, you do not need focus groups. Five users or listeners will reveal 80% of the issues in a product, but I think it really applies for podcasting. So sit down with five people in your relatively targeted audience and ask them to listen. Play them something. Run, them, run by your brief, memorable sentence. Play some sample audio, but also just show them your episode list. And actually, this study also showed that if you ask 15 people, you've pretty much, you're pretty much going to know everything you need to know. That's not counting like the annoying Apple podcast reviewers out there who are just like, hate it, one star. But um, sorry, that's so demoralizing. I don't mean that. They're all going to love it. So, <laughs> um, so I really want to get to discussion. Um, but I think in closing of this, I think We've all listened to shows that we can tell pretty quickly didn't respect our time. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody has their own reasons for making their thing. And so I'm not trying to shut that down. But a well-designed podcast does show people that you've respected their time. And it also shows that you respect your own time because it will make the making easier. You have a plan, even if it changes. And I hope that I've respected your time. And I really look forward to the discussion, so thank you. (laughs) Am I good on time?
0: Great. So I wanted to hear your thinking on the seasonal approach to podcasting. How often do you need to come back to your audience to maintain that connection? And what can you do in between seasons to make sure they're still engaged and they say subscribed?
1: That's a great question. I mean, I think pretty much probably a lot of people in this room have experiences with that. And I, I think you should feel free to share it. What I see is absolutely seasonal is a really valid way to do things, especially for example, I'm working with a show right now called Tiny Spark, which is an investigative show about philanthropic issues. And she needs time, like she's doing some heavy reporting. Um, I find you want to have a minimum of eight to 10 shows per season. Um, how you release them, I mean, I think that varies, but I, I think you know a weekly release of those is nice because it gives people time to digest. If you dump them all at once, which occasionally, it, we all would like to be in S-Town. We're not all gonna be in S-Town. You probably wanna like help your numbers and also pace things out. So weekly tends to work. I've, I work with um, the longest, shortest time. I'm on the editorial board and, um, oh my God, I'm gonna get this wrong now. <laughs> I don't know if Hillary's in the audience or Andrea. Um, but um, I think they do three seasons a year. I, you know, so you don't want to, I, I think probably leaving more than a, like one to two months um, between seasons is less than ideal. And But there's yeah, you're right. Like occasionally putting something out in your feed, although maybe somebody here has seen some numbers on what the bonus episode, how that performs. Um, but if it's something that really serves your listeners, it, that can be nice to put something out once in a while. So...
2: Yes, if you've got those five to 15
1: test listeners, what type of questions would you ask them in your test? Well, so that's a, that's a great question. Um, I mean, it really is very topic dependent, I feel. Um, so I was thinking of coming up with this like sample show. Um, for me, it would be fashion in your 40s in the gig economy, especially for media professionals. I don't do really well with it, so what would I, you know, if I think of that, like if I sat down with any of you who seem to be doing a lot better than me, um, what would you want to know? So I guess, the, you know, if it's a topic like that, what, what would you like to know? Um, here are the five topics that I'm thinking of addressing. Who are the guests you'd want to hear from, if it's a guest kind of show? Um, How long, I I would also, I tend to ask people what other podcasts they listen to, especially similar ones, and um, what do they typically do when they're listening? Um, Because that can also tell you a lot about how long it should be and things like that.
2: Hi, thank you so much. Um, What like, one piece of advice would you give to someone telling a personal story?
1: You mean as far as how to design Yeah,
2: just in terms of, I think that that kind of story can have such a different type of audience that you're looking for, or you don't even know how to define your audience, like who would be interested in this personal story that you have to tell. And just sort of,
1: yeah, I don't know if you have any clients that have told personal stories and, and what helped them. I mean, actually, I find the biggest issue with personal stories is how much you're comfortable sharing. That's something that people hit up against. Um, And actually, um, Kristen Meinzer, by the book, tells a really good, uh, has a really good example of an episode that was particularly hard for her and how she had to work through that. So actually, I think in that case, being prepared for yourself and how authentic and personal you can get is important. Beyond that, I think it really depends on the subject matter. I mean, if, if you can connect with other people who share that story, maybe on message boards and things, and see what resonates. See, especially on message boards and Google groups or Facebook groups, you can see who the big participators are. If they have a story that's similar, see how that resonates. Yeah, thank you.
2: Hi. I was hoping that you could speak a little bit more about uh, non traditional audiences and how, if your target audience is non traditional, how you bring them into podcasting or into listening to podcasts. I'm working on a show for older adults, baby boomers, and senior citizens and the one, the biggest, I think it's a great show, and our biggest hurdle right now is figuring out how to bring them in to put on the headphones and listen.
1: This is such a good question, and actually I worked with a client who wanted to reach working class women of color ages 35 to 55, who track really heavily for smartphone usage, but not necessarily for podcast usage. Um, You basically, first you have to start by pushing your non-podcast channels. Um, that would be the big one. Website listening can be huge. Serial, um, Seth Lynn, the production manager, told me that the website listening was off the charts. I mean, it was, it was way ahead of anything they had expected um, after Apple Podcasts. I mean, that was still the biggest. Um, so website, and I've, he's not the only one. I mean, there are plenty of non-serial podcasts that find web listening actually serves them well. So you, you reach them through newsletters. You reach them just in, in the channels of where they're at. It may be physical media. Um, I think also working with some of the big platforms, because like I mentioned before, they are interested in reaching new audiences as a way to reach new podcast listeners. So you know, partnering up with Google or Spotify or Apple um, or Stitcher, and you know, saying like they will—they will actually be very open, I believe, to you know, featuring you and really getting you out there. Um, but but it is, it's a real issue and it takes a lot of slog and legwork. Like you may have to find the trade newsletters. You may have to like go to the public library. Um, but I really, really believe in that. And I think that people who aren't currently podcast listeners, especially like in an age group, that isn't typically addressed. When, my fi- when I finally got my dad to listen to a BBC show, it was um, like 50 Lives That Shaped India. <laughs> there was one about a mathematician, and all of a sudden he was listening on his podcast app. So, so it, you just have to be really creative and be prepared to slog and have a lot of time and resources devoted to that. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Hi, thanks. Hi. I have a question about episode duration. Um, I'm Kyone Wolfram from Connecticut Public Radio, and we take all of our live shows and we turn them into podcasts, which is cool. But we also have a lot of really creative people at our organization that have ideas for new podcasts. And we haven't yet figured out what to make of them, whether they should be
2: something that's designed purely to be listened to online or on podcast platforms or it's something that would be aired on a half hour or 49 minute 30 slot on our public radio show. I've also started my own production company with a live advice show I do and I'm going to turn that into a podcast. So I'm thinking personally, how do I think about episode length? And I know it must vary depending on what we're talking about. But what do you think about when you're trying to figure out what that sweet spot is, depending on what the
1: topic is? hmm Uh, No, it's a great question. It's a very recurring question. Um, The obnoxiously coy answer is as long as it can earn it. (laughs) Um, So Dan Carlin will go on for two or three hours and he earns it, but he really is pretty much the only one, I think. Please, if there are other examples of the two to three hour podcast that earns it, let me know. Um, But uh, we find typically in the 20 to 25 minute range, I don't know, you know, some people say that's because that's the length of a commute. Although in the Boston area, commutes are longer and my husband turns to audiobooks at that point. So maybe, you know, is there something you can emulate about audiobookness that will buy you more time? Um, Shorter than that, I don't typically see unless it's like really creative and specific, like um, for a smart speaker, like chompers. Um, Two minutes, my kids are brushing their teeth. They're told when to change sides. They're told a little quiz and then you're off. Um, but smart speakers aren't great for podcast discovery. So, you would, if you were to design for a smart speaker, you'd want it to be really specifically for the smart speaker, um, and work with the platforms to feature you. Does that does that help yeah, a bit? Twenty
0: to twenty-five, sweet spot.
1: Over. Yeah, but broadcast. You know, I mean, it's right. true fitting into a broadcast zone. I mean, there, I think there are other people in this room I can see who would have some really great insights um, on that too. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks.
0: Yes. Hi. Thanks. Um, My question relates to uh, vetting your idea with that group of five or maybe 15 people. Do you recommend speaking to these individuals individually or as like sort of a focus group is it which is more practical and would yield the best
1: results? Practically, one-on-one. And besides, I mean, your podcast relationship with them will be one-on-one, right? I mean, they're going to be listening to you through their headphones. Um, I don't see any particular reason to do a group unless they feel like you feel like the audience that you're reaching out to would feel more comfortable in a group, right? Like if, if, you know, for various reasons, if somebody, if the one-on-one dynamic might not get you the, like, truly frank answers that you need, then maybe invite people to bring a friend. Yeah. Thank
0: you. Mm Hi. Hi. Um, The mission of my idea, I really hope that my audience will evolve quite a bit as we go, and so I'm wondering how often you recommend revisiting the design process and what, you know, if you do all the steps, if you do some of the steps, uh, if you do different kinds of steps, but I assume there's some kind of revisit to this as you go?
1: I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, Thanks for setting that up. That's great. Yes. Um, You know, print your key themes on the wall, so it's like never even about revisiting. It's like always there, you know. But um, so if you're lucky, if you don't reach the audience you initially intended, you may discover that there's a whole other unexpected audience out there. This happens a lot with mobile apps. And I feel like I know, I can't think of the anecdote now, but there are shows that I've heard that it turns out, like, all sorts of people were listening they didn't expect. Um, well, I mean, actually, Longest Shortest Time, you know, started out as being a show for parents of really young children, babies and young children. But then it turns out there were a lot of people who were listening who didn't have children and may never intend to. Um, So, I I mean, I think it depends on your topic, and it depends on, like, what you're going for. Um, A lot, there's so little audience data, so you're not gonna, you know, a lot of it will be anecdotal. Um, So as you keep track of your other presences online and see who's listening, or maybe put out a survey or an ask, that's gonna just tell you when it may be time. If you're starting to feel lost, if you're feeling like, I don't know what my next set of episodes should be. Or if you can tell that the balance is off, like you've been doing too many about this one topic when you were supposed to get the whole palette. Um, So no, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule. I have encountered a fair number of shows about a year or two in. Or, sorry, one last thought on this, pilot seasons are great. And so if you launch a pilot season, telling yourselves at the end of that season you will definitely plan to revisit, that's a really good time as well. Thank you.
0: This kind of actually piggybacks off of that. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe my question has to do with pilot seasons. I don't know, but I was just wondering, like, it if you have examples to point to of um, shows that really did work well as just a single season, and maybe these, the, the makers intended it to be a pilot and then just decided it didn't have gas after that. But a lot of what we're talking about is things that repeat, and I wonder, you know, what are the kinds of considerations to look at in having something that's gonna iterate versus something that might just be a one-off?
1: Well, I mean, the biggest question is, does the topic have legs? And if it doesn't have long legs, that doesn't mean it's not worthy. Um, I can think right now of a few shows um, like Heat and Light. I worked with The Conversation, which is a news organization, um, and they did a six-parter marking the anniversary of 1968 from a really fresh perspective. I think they put out six episodes in the end and that's all they needed. In their case though, yeah, that was a pilot and they learned a ton about host and production and team um, listening. Although I feel like they did a great job out of the gate. They will probably put something else out in the future, but it may not be under the heat and light feed. Um, And I actually am a firm believer that, that you shouldn't feel like your podcast has to go on forever. Um, I think the trick, though, there is making sure that you're marketing and you're building that audience re- like before and right out of the gate. Um, but I, I think it's a really valid thing to think about. And even in this design process, it works for that as well. Because actually, I worked with somebody who thought she was going to do an ongoing series about various literary figures. And then she realized she just had this brilliant three-parter for one. Um, and so she did that. Um, there aren't a lot of great venues. Like Radiotopia has a Showcase, which is a great way to like do limited run and build on somebody else's audience. But even in the absence of that, again, with the world's tiniest storefront, you just want a logo um, and you know a title. So you might as well go with the one that you've done, not somebody else's. Either way. Thanks. Hi. Hi.
2: Um, I just launched a podcast over the summer and. Um, I'm doing a monthly format simply because I wanted to get going. I have another full-time job and that's kind of how what I figured was manageable. But I was wondering if you would recommend doing the season format, like maybe stopping collecting a few episodes and releasing it weekly if that's better for growing an audience. The
1: the conventional wisdom is definitely you need more regularity than monthly. I mean, I get it it depends, I mean, I could imagine some outlying shows where monthly, like because of the topic, is fine, like a companion to my period or something. I don't know, oh God, that's gonna go on the, po- on the audio, all right. Um, but, <laughs> um, but otherwise I think if you need breaks because you can't make constantly because a lot of people here have day jobs, then yes, um, seasonal is probably better, putting out more frequently but then taking a longer break in between. I have one
2: second question. Um, In terms of the through line, I had been thinking of my format as my consistent uh, sort of what tied my episodes together, uh, that I would have a mix of personal interviews from women and then also experts and sort of starting out with a question that I had. Do you think that's enough to be a through line or that's more my format? Like, What's the difference?
1: Well, so, yeah, format tends to be more like, you know, is it an interview show, is it an interview with rich narration, is it field reporter, things like that, so that, that's format. I think through line, I, I don't know about your show specifically, but the through line typically is a little more focused. I'll give one example and then I think we have to wrap, right, um, sorry. <laughs> but. Um, so I was working with a social justice organization that wanted to do... They're very intersectional, so they had all sorts of topics they wanted to hit. Voting rights, labor, um, uh, Black Lives Matter, all sorts of things. Um, but they were going to do one topic per episode, and then I was like, but then you're going to use up your voting rights episode. I mean, I guess you could repeat it, but like, that's a huge thing to try to accomplish in one episode. Like, One episode should ideally be about one thing. So I looked at their media, various media appearances, read up on their other materials and realized that emotion was a really important through line and characteristic of a lot of their other work. So we explored actually doing an episode. Each episode was one like emotion or feeling, like courage, resilience, despair, um, you know, anger, hope. Um, if you can see something like that in what you're doing, but otherwise, if you feel like it's the guest, if the guest is really, each guest you're going to have is really well-known, then you know, that can be your through line. Okay. <laughs> it's not really an answer. It really <laughs> depends on the topic. We have one more. Oh, time for one more. Hi. Thanks, sir. Thank thanks you. For having faith. <laughs> um, I just had a question. You were talking earlier about uh, building your audience. I was wondering if
2: how much time you should plan before the launch of your podcast, in your uh, opinion, to build your audience, market your show, and whether or not it's worth postponing a little bit the
1: launch to make sure that you've built that audience beforehand. That basically, typically, yes. I, I feel like, so you you want to have some audio or some action, like subscribe, before you start building directly with your listeners. But there's other audience building that you can do, and I find like pl- giving yourselves at least two months is really nice, if you can. Um, I've definitely worked with people who called me the week before launch. <laughs> um, but you know if you, if you can start thinking about who your who partners might be, like cross-promotional partners, there's other podcasts in this non-competitive landscape, Um, That's a really good outreach you want to start doing. If, depending on your subject matter, there are other media, like um, newsletters or discussion groups or blogs or other media, that um, you can alert these publishers in advance and let them know. Ideally, maybe you have a trailer or some sample audio. There's no harm in putting out a trailer well before the actual show. Um, That said, it's nice, especially when you start doing your direct listener outreach, to at least have... Prefer- definitely the trailer, but even preferably one full episode, that, so they really can get into it. Because most people aren't going to wait around and go, "Ooh, I heard the trailer. When's the show coming out?" Um, but yeah, definitely sending front-loading some time for audience development before launch is a great idea, and it can affect your design. Last point on that: you know, if you may find a partner who says, "Hey, I would love to," you know, have an let's do a cross-promotion, literally put a piece of my episode in one of your episodes, or have me on, like interview me, and then I'll alert all of my listeners. Those are things that are actually going to affect the design of your show, or at least your show roadmap. Thank you
0: all so much for coming. This is really fun. <laughs> that was Rekha Murthy there, speaking at the 2018 Work It Festival. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Event sponsors include Spotify, Captera, Stitcher, Art19, Pandora, Himalaya, and Yale School of Management.